This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. There is a report from the Canadian Real Estate Association that came out this week saying the imbalance between supply and demand in our housing market, leaning way more heavily towards demand than supply. We have a lot more demand than we do have supply, is now without precedent. And an economist in the Toronto Star says the market here is dangerously overheating. Is he right? Lou Piriano is the president of the Realtors Association of Hamilton and Burlington. He joins me now. Lou, how are you tonight? Hey, fantastic. Thanks for the uh, opportunity. No problem. Hey, by the way, ever show up late for a showing? Ever? Uh, I think that's happened to every realtor. You always (laughs) run into something or other, don't you? You always do. Listen, okay, uh, let's get to this because I, when I hear words like without precedent and overheating and dangerous and all these kind of things, it's, um, well, are, are all these people right? Is our market, has our market now reached a point where those words are applicable? You know what? There is always a lot of uh, hand-wringing in, in when, when you have an active market like this, but uh, I think there's a lot of good news out there for people in Hamilton and Burlington, uh, the area that we cover, Grimsby and so on. Um, if I can just point out that uh, some people may get a little shell-shocked when they look at these statistics and say, hey, the average price is almost $500,000 in Hamilton. Yeah. But here's the here's the good news. The median price is 440000 So the median is means that half the houses sold under that and half sold over that. So last year, that would have meant out of the 16,500 houses that sold in our area, 8,250 of them were under 440,000. And you say, well, what does that mean in terms of you know affordability? Uh, if, if one had 10% down and was looking for a $400,000 mortgage at uh, 2.5%, that would mean that payments would be 1,791 a month, which is, you know what, is not that far off rentals. You know, I suppose when when people talk about, again, using these words, I suppose it depends which side of the ledger you're on as a homeowner. If you you own your own home, you're probably feeling like things are cooking along just very nicely, that the prices are going up. But if you are one of the ones trying to buy in, even and I understand what you were saying, you probably are looking at this from the outside in a bit of a panic, saying this is already at a full boil. I mean, it, it, it really depends on which side you're on. Well, you know, the, the, the types of hyperbole that, that you hear or read about sometimes, for example, yesterday, Bank of Montreal economist uh, who's quoted in Toronto Star, you have to realize where these people are coming from and consider the source in some cases. Uh, these folks are concerned about risk when they're working for banks. Uh, the federal government has done everything they can to uh, put the kibosh on the market, and it's, it's not working. Always a dangerous thing when government interferes in a, in a free market. And so when you when you read some of this stuff, consider the source, look at where they're coming from, uh, look what their angle is, if you will. And uh, I, I will point out that um, in, in many of the CMHC conferences I've uh, been to over the years, they're all good folks and they're all trying to do good work, but uh, they've successfully predicted 10 out of the last two recessions. <laughs> So you know you, you can't really you can't really get caught up with uh, with this stuff. What you need to do honestly is just to get a hold of your local favorite realtor, find somebody because the market can vary from building to building for condos or neighborhood to neighborhood. And as I said, there's still a lot of affordable housing out there. Okay, 
and you know what? All these points you're making are are valid. That not if you're going to get into the market, you don't have to buy a house that is going to uh, throw you into complete financial ruin. There are affordable homes out there. I will ask though about this one other point. The number, the average number, according to the Canadian Real Estate Association from last year, that the average house price went up by thirteen percent. That makes it a great investment. That makes it a fantastic investment. I, I defy anyone to find another investment that's going to get them thirteen percent annually. Um, is that is that healthy for the market, or is that a, is the word overheated? Is that where they're applying it? Well, in Hamilton, it was twelve point four percent twenty sixteen over twenty fifteen uh, for uh, average sale price. Uh, so it, you know, it's it's more than you would expect uh, on uh, over a ten year average. But, uh, you know, there's ups and downs in the market, and we, we just happen to be on the upside for the last five years. We haven't had a recession, I don't think, in about 14 or 15 years or, or more. So you can't argue with the fact that it's a good investment when you see these types of numbers. Lou, at this point in our market, do houses have to be in immaculate shape with every bell and whistle and everything brand new and the granite countertops and everything else for them to be able to sell? Or are we at the point now where... If you put a house that's, you know, it's not obviously in terrible shape, but if you put a house up that may need some repairs, it's still going to be able to find a buyer. There's a defined market for both of those. And, uh, and in fact, the people who are buying the houses that need all the attention are then reselling them on the market at, uh, at much more, mm. having put in the equity. So, but, you know, there's people like me who, uh, you know, what, what I see is what I get. So I'd like a pretty bow wrapped around it. And then uh, some of my friends who will go in there and, and tear the place apart and they have those skills to do that. So still a great way for the ordinary uh, person to be able to make an investment and uh, and make some, some money, uh, possibly tax-free if they live in it themselves. I think here, uh, the point, one of the other points that uh, the CREA was, the Canadian Real Estate Association was saying, as far as some of their comments, the number of newly listed homes in this area, in the greater Toronto area, dropped 6.7% in January, and it was the second consecutive monthly decline. Why, is there a reason that the number of homes that are being put on the market is dropping, or is this consistent with what happens every single January and December and February? Well, January is is obviously a slower month. The so-called spring market really picks up in February, March, April, uh, listing-wise, so we'll have to wait and see uh, what happens there. But, um, you know, folks are um, folks are getting uh, older, but they're also getting more healthy and able to stay in their houses a little bit longer. I think there's there may be a little bit of the uh, uh, kids growing up that may be staying in the house a little longer as well. But eventually, you know, what goes up must come down. It will be on the market. So, what would slow our market down? What, I mean, if it was ever going to happen, and if the prices and the supply and the demand and everything was to balance itself back to sort of where it usually is or has been, what would cause that? Well, in the 44 years that I've been doing this job, and, and I've gone through a couple of uh, recessions, shall we say, uh, I don't see the same factors playing out uh, now that I did then. And, and those are as follows. Uh, increasing interest rates would be number one cause. Uh, number two cause would be employment. Uh, in our in our town in Stelco, uh, when I got into the business in 1973, if uh, Stelco went on strike, a, a quarter of the deals were affected in, in a sort of a... Uh, you know, one one hitting the other and knocking it down. And we don't have that anymore either. We have uh, Hamilton Health Sciences as the largest employer, and they're not going anywhere. So it's very, very difficult to understand how uh, this will turn around and if it will. And then again, you know, not to be 
uh, too dramatic about it, but, you know, we say Toronto prices are high, but world prices are even higher. So uh, maybe we're just getting used to the new normal. You think that's what it is? Do you think this is the normal now? I mean, it, it sounds like that's what you're saying. It absolutely, uh, in my mind, is, yes. Absolutely. So the when you go out to look at a new house now, if someone was going to be shopping and they see a house, they go, oh, you know, that's that's... That's a big ticket that I'm going to be putting into, even if it's not the biggest house in the market. That's a big ticket. Maybe I'll wait till the price drops again. There's got to be a recession or a dropping coming up soon. You're saying, well, don't I'd hold your breath saying, on that one. What I'd be saying is, how's that working out for you so far? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and, and I'm sure you've seen people who have been in that position. They're saying, you know, at, at some point, the prices have to go down a little bit, and I'll jump in there. You, you have to have seen that. I, I've got a I've got a, a short mental list in my head uh, from say five years ago on up the people who have said that to me yes, and I'm very very cautious by nature. Um, I, I I'm the last guy to be telling my client to uh, overbid for a property. However, uh, I got to say that if that's the attitude that uh, they would take, they would have just lost in the last ten, uh, actually up to fifteen years now. Well, I mean, according again to the CREA, the house prices in this area over the past five years are up between 60 and 66%. So if you five years ago decided, I'll wait for it to drop, you're out 60 to, you're out two thirds basically of the value of the home you would have purchased. Well, there's not only that, Scott, but I, but I think also that, you know, unlike any other investment, you can't live in your GICs, you can't live <laughs> in your stocks, but you can live in your house. So if you happen to take a hit for a year or two because the market has quieted down, it will come back. Um, I, I can recall uh, even in Westdale uh, when, when things slowed down for a bit, you know, everybody's hand-wringing and then it just came back like a house on fire, no pun intended. And, um, you know, that's the beauty of real estate. Lou Piriano, the president of the Realtors Association of Hamilton and Burlington. Thanks so much for the time tonight. Appreciate you doing this. My great pleasure. Thanks, Scott. Good night. Uh, 60, think about that for a second though. Five years, according to the CREA, five years, if you owned a home in this city or this area, not just within the city of Hamilton, but within the Hamilton, greater Toronto area, if you owned a home, your value of your home on average has gone up between 60 and 66%. So you're, what you had five years ago, it's worth two thirds more now. That's an, that. Show me one other investment. Now, I'm not. I'm. I'm not a real estate agent. It's. It's. It serves me no benefit to convince you to buy a house. That's not what this is. I don't. I don't care if you get into the market or not. I don't care if you're in the market or not. That's your choice. That's entirely up to you. But that is a. That is a. That's a ridiculous number. And again, I go back to what I said to Lou a moment ago. And I understand his position, but I'm saying if you are in the housing market. These are numbers that you are loving. You're loving this. If you're in the housing market and you've got an investment and it's gone up by 60%, imagine if your RSPs had gone up by 60% in five years or any other investment you had, 60%. But if you're somebody who is standing on the sidelines waiting, thinking, oh, you know, five years ago, you said, oh, I'm going to wait. It's going to go down. This has got to drop. It's got to dip off a little bit. And now five years later, you're looking, still holding your cash in your hand. And now you're saying, wait a second, now, how do I get in? I waited thinking it was going to go down and now it's 60% more. How do I, and how much more will it be five years from now? And here's, that's where everyone gets nervous. If you're, again, if you're going to be a buyer, will it still be going up by 60% or 30% or whatever over the next five years?
Luke is getting married. Luke, who was on the other side of the glass today. Luke is getting married in the fall. Luke right now is a renter. You're not a renter now? Did you buy something? No, I, I'm uh, living with his parents, sir. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Do you... I was a renter, though. Okay. I, I, th- I mean, I, I know I've dropped you at your apartment several times, so I know <laughs> yes. that that had been the case. Yes. When you get married, what are the expectations that you would have now that you will own your own place someday when you look at the market? Uh, Honestly. I, like, what are my expectations that I eventually will? Someday down the road that yes. in your life you will own your own place. Yes, eventually. Certainly not right away. Does it scare you though as someone who's tr- who would be about to p- potentially dive into this th- does it scare you when you see these prices or do you say mm, you know it always goes up so i expect this is going to be the case i mean a little bit because the prices are high but at the same time i know what uh, a lot of my friends that live in toronto are going through with the prices there and That's i'm really counting bad. myself lucky that <laughs> as high as they are here they're not quite that high and to be honest i'm not opposed to living slightly outside the city to get a better price which i know a lot of people that that doesn't cross their mind well and that's the that's that's one of the things that's really difficult about this as well because the reason one of the reasons and we've heard this many times on this show we've talked about this before one of the reasons that we have such high prices is because everyone in toronto is saying i have to live outside the city and yeah. hamilton is one of the places now people in hamilton are saying, I got to live outside the city, and they're moving to places like Niagara, they're moving to places like Brantford, and then the people in Brantford are saying, <laughs> I got to move outside the city. And everybody now, or at least, you know, not everybody, but a, a, a large number of people are all moving outside their cities to try and get something better, and it trickles down all the way through. And everywhere is going up in price as a result. Yeah, I mean... It... To be honest with you, my love of this city will probably overcome any cares about the cost because I want to stay here. Within reason. Within reason. But I mean, again, it's not Toronto prices. I lived, I worked in Brantford for a number of years. I didn't live in Brantford. I lived in Hamilton while I was working there, but I lived in Brantford for a number of years. And I got to tell you, if I had bought a place there back then, prices were dirt cheap. They were absolutely dirt cheap. And now that the Hamilton exodus has moved into Brantford, I would have made a fortune. Now, I would have made the same fortune had I just bought in Hamilton, especially in some of the less attractive, less appealing areas of Hamilton that are now suddenly hot because everyone wants to buy them cheap and fix them up and live there. doesn't matter where. You could have, if you or me, or anyone else had been, and there are some people who did this, were smart enough to say, these houses, someday, these are really going to go up in price. Man, oh man, I don't think you and I, or anyone else would have had to have been working right now. Just sell the houses and live <laughs> off the fat of the land. That would have been the, that would have been the easy way to do it. Anyway, there you go. 60 to 66%, your house. Those of you out there who own your own home, your house is up 60 to two thirds the value in the last five years in this city. That's okay. You can go crack open that bottle of champagne now and think about that. It's pretty good. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. A big, big day in the world of sports in this city for one reason, one unfortunate, I suppose, reason. It's a reality of professional sports, but it's, you know, it's not 
a fun thing, and that is Pete Dyakowski, who I would argue is the most popular Hamilton Ticat, the guy who had done more for this community and more in this community than any of any other member of the Hamilton Ticats. He got cut by the team today. Now it's it's part of pro sports. It happens. Guys, he's here for ten years. They find that they can get someone who's cheaper and they feel maybe better, and away he goes, and it's kind of cold and it's kind of heartless, but it's the way the world is. Bubba O'Neill from CHCH joins me. Uh, Bubba, how are you tonight? Not bad. Just uh, a little bit of a celebratory mood. Uh, Sidney Crosby finally getting that 100, 1,000. He did. He just did. Yes, absolutely. We'll get to that in just a second. I want to just talk about Pete Dyakowski, though, because this is this is the real cutthroat, cold part of professional sports. Because Pete was a guy, I mean, honestly, if you were going to find a guy who was Mr. Hamilton Tiger Cat, who wore the tie cat on his heart and on his sleeve, quite literally, it was Pete Dyakowski. And so when I heard he got cut today, and it was just sort of by way of a press release that came across, it was like, man, that's that's sort of jarring to see that a guy who has poured that much into the team gets released that way. But that's, Bubba, that's professional sports, I guess. Yeah, and, and on Twitter, when I found out the news, I put CFL Shocker. And, and it wasn't so much CFL Shocker as shocking as in, like, it, it, it happened. Because, I mean, there's obvious reasons for it. The guy has, in his last two, three seasons, has, uh, you know, experienced injuries. Uh, he's up there in age now. Ten years of any uh, on the line for any football player is, is an extremely long time in a sport that... You know, where the average career only lasts about three to four years. So he's had a spectacular career. If this was, if this was to be his last, you know, go around. So, uh, yeah, and, and I think you're right. Being a good community guy makes it uh, a little, a little more of a shocker too. And then I think it makes you think. You're like, wow, you know, like you're right. You see, a, a, a sports career just comes and it goes. And, and one day you get a press release saying that this person is now no longer needed, but that's pro sports. It reminds me very much in a way of the day that the Ticats released or cut or whatever word you want to use, Mike Morreale and Rob Hitchcock together at training camp a few years ago when Charlie Taff, I believe, was the head coach. And all of a sudden there was just a rush press conference called and those two guys were they just announced they were done and they were the two local guys they were the face of the team and it as I say it just it, I understand the move I think anyone who is being objective understands the move but boy it really does in this case reiterate and crystallize just how cold-hearted professional sports is and can be when you have to make decisions like this. And, you know, and as I said tonight on tonight's sportscast with CHCH is that it, it, it football's even even more hardcore there, where you know it's a sport that doesn't have guaranteed contracts. I mean, and let's be honest, in the CFL you're not making NFL money, you know, and of course when you're talking about basketball, hockey, uh, baseball, you're talking about multi-million dollar men. And again, when they do get cut, there's generally a continuation of you know your pay and that kind of thing. In football, it's just not so. And when- but the difference here, Bob, I got to tell you, the difference in this is if it had been almost anyone else on this team, I could see the cold-hearted nature of it. I could see that you need to be ruthless. Kent Austin has to make hard decisions. Somehow, it seems to me that there should have been something more than just a press release to announce that Pete Diakowski was released. Because this guy, again, has been. This would be like I, I. You look at Bill Belichick with the New England Patriots, and I think that Bill Belichick probably is the most ruthless player personnel guy in professional sports. 
But even he, when the day comes that Tom Brady has to be sent packing if he doesn't retire first, I have to believe they will do more than send out a press release saying, oh, by the way, Tom Brady was released. Seems to me that somehow there should have been something more than this for Pete. Well, I think that comes at the end of his career, Scott. Uh, And I I hate to join the cold-heartedness of of it at all. (laughs) I mean, because I think there was, I think obviously there was a discussion between management and obviously that would be Ken Austin, the head coach and VP of football operations, that conversation what is probably a very tough one between Kent and, and Peter. But here's the honest truth. You have a Brandon Revenberg who's ready to go who's ready to go and, and was just outstanding last season. The guy's a horse. Ryan Bombin, the guy from Burlington, uh, just an outstanding young offensive lineman, ready to go. But I think through all of that, and you know, there's going to be an odd man out. And as I said, Pete's had some injuries over the last couple of years, which has limited his play. I think the conversation probably included the fact that Pete still wanted to play. Yes, and in lo and clearly. Behold, look, and lo and behold, look what happened. Yep. And, and hours later, he's scooped up by the Argonauts. You know, which is you know, he joins the likes of the Moriellis and and O'Shea's to, to go play down the road as as a life. You know, a, a guy that is always thought of as a Tiger Cat. The Montfords, the Amersons. There's a yeah. lot of them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you, it's 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 a it's an interesting list there of some people that you just you know, and as I said on this broadcast tonight, how are we gonna how are we gonna treat this guy on Labor Day? Because you know what it's like. Those oh, are- I, that's a good one. But I don't think there's going to be a person at Tim Hortons Field that would boo Pete Diakowski, even I, though he's with the Argos. I don't. That, didn't we say that about Mike Morielli too? Homegrown Hamilton product. <laughs> the difference is the difference is Mike Mike chose to leave to go to the Argos. He was drafted by the Argos, yep. came to Hamilton, and then chose to go back there. Whereas Pete was released by. If he had left as a free agent, it might All be right. different. It might, I I don't think there's anybody that would boo Pete Diakowski. But I could be I could be wrong on that one. But here, let's talk about the Argos for a second because what Pete Diakowski is now walking into, in my mind, is. If it's not the biggest mess in professional sports, it's up there with the Cleveland uh, Browns. The Toronto Argos right now, we're in free agent season. They don't have a coach. They don't have a general manager. They have an assistant general manager, not a general manager. Most of the guys they went after, the A-list free agents, spurned them and said, no, thank you. Uh, this team looks like it easily could be heading for a 2-16 and season and what do you? I mean, if that happens, or even if it's four and fourteen, or if it's just a bad, what does that mean in Toronto? How important is Toronto really to the CFL? Because I really believe we're going to find, we're going to test whatever theory that is. We're going to test it this year because they're going to be awful. Uh, you know, I, I fired the the general manager. The head coach said, "Look, I'm out of here." Uh, the look is real bad, and and I, I don't care if you're a CFL fan. And there's a lot of people in this area that love the CFL. I love the CFL. I try to back it with people that talk NFL. I love football, period, you know, first and, first and foremost. But I'm telling you right now, what's going on down the QEW right now is, is, is it kills me. It's, it's sad because I grew up on the Argonauts first, living in, living in Oakville and Burlington. I grew up on the Argos first before the Tiger Cats. And this is, this is bad. It, 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 are you, a, are you one of those guys who believes the league needs a healthy Toronto team? Yes, absolutely. You, you, you need to have Toronto in this league. And, and I, I think the league loses a little credibility if the Argos aren't there. Um, even if they're playing badly, I mean, at least they're there. But to not have a team in Toronto, to me, I'm not saying the league cannot 
commence, cannot continue. But I think you need to have a. I need the biggest city in the country needs to have a football team. But unfortunately, the management of it and the way they're going about things is just bewildering to me. And you had this Derek Dennis, who was the CFL lineman of the year, who was courted by the Argonauts, a good cornerstone player to build off of. And, you know, the interesting thing that he said, and he went public with it, Scott, saying that when he talked to the co- you know, the existing coaches and the players that were there, he was excited about possibly signing with Toronto. But when he actually spoke to the CEO, Michael Copeland, it turned him off. And I'm like, are you kidding me? So the actual management of the team is where he, when he had his discussions and asked his questions, and I guess his agent as well too, he was turned off enough to say, eh, I got to go to Saskatchewan. Well, if I'm a player right now, and I mean, Pete, uh, we were talking, we led into this with Pete Diakowski. Pete's in a different circumstance because he got released, and as you say, he's got some miles under his tracks, and he's, you know, he's got to find a place to play, and the Argos offered him that. So he, he goes there. But the fact is, if I'm a player, if I'm an A-list free agent right now, do I want to even think about the Toronto Argos? And the answer is no. There's there's lots of other places. Ottawa looks like a good, stable, successful sure. place Absolutely. to go. Saskatchewan, of course, is the place to go if you're in the CFL. Hamilton is a welcoming place now. Montreal looks like they're beginning to put the pieces back together and build something again. Um, go through the list. Edmonton, Calgary. Calgary is always a fantastic place. Toronto would be, I think, in almost every free agent's world, nine out of nine, and it might be ten out of nine in, as far as your choices of where you would want to play because it looks like a mess. And if that's the case, this is going to be the guarantee playoff year for everyone else in the East because Toronto will be eliminated from the playoffs on day one. I mean, Scott. I mean, they don't even have a. They, they got have, nothing. They have nothing. They don't. They don't. We don't know if Ricky Ray what his status is. You know what they do have, Bubba. You know what they do have. When the schedule came out, what was it? A week ago, week and a half ago, Toronto got the plum schedule of the entire CFL. They got the best schedule of anyone because last year it was the worst, and the attendance was bad. The CFL handed them the best schedule in order to try and get people into BMO Field. And this is going to be bad this year. If the team stinks, if they've got nothing, and if with the plum schedule the place is still empty, then what? That, yeah, and you're right. I mean, and it's funny because, I mean, Mr. Copeland said that he's looking at a general manager that is, you know, it's not from the CFL. It's probably going to be an American, going to be from more of an NFL type which, you know, concerns me because he's going to have to learn individuals. He's going to have to learn who's, you know, the players in the league. He's going to have to learn about the management of the league, how it's run. Hire a coach. Like, I mean, hire a coach. I mean, does he know, whoever hired this general manager, I mean, yeah, he's going to have surround himself with good CFL people, but what's he going to know? And and you're right. It's just, it's a a disaster. And we're in free agent period. Why would you not have a general manager there to actually bring in guys during, I mean, the whole thing just seems like it's, Scott, how do you fire a general manager and not have a general manager ready? I mean, just to, I hate this to, to, to compare sports, but look at the Montreal Canadiens. Michel Therrien doesn't get fired if Claude Julien isn't there. Of course. You're right? absolutely right. You, 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 if you're going to fire someone, you better have someone ready to go or in your mind pretty... 100%. 100% sure that, you know what, we're, we're, we have someone that's so high on our candidates' list that we, you know, we can see him replacing this person. Or, or 
if you are going, if you're the Montreal Canadiens, and I don't want to jump to hockey right now, but if you're the Montreal Canadiens and you're going to get rid of Michel Therrien, Claude Julien may be your first choice. But I guarantee you, they had one or two other guys that if he didn't come, they were on the list. Or we're not going to fire Therrien. We're going to make sure we're covered sure. here and not be blowing in the breeze when this whole thing well, ends. I, it was all. I mean, and be honest here, Scott. I mean, and again, I hate to make this Yargo slag show, but. Look what, I don't look think people mind fired. around here. Why wasn't Why wasn't he fired a week after the regular? Well, season? He, I mean, but he. Well, who the the GM or the coach? Well, but both. The both coach left. You wanted to do the coach left. I mean, that was he was the one who. who but the whole scenario just doesn't make any sense and looks like it's a complete joke. And again, if I'm a player. And I go, and there's a team out there that doesn't have management, that doesn't have anything put together. Free agency is upon us, and they still don't have a general manager. Why in the world would I want to go there? Because it just screams of bedlam and chaos. Yeah, it's it's the truth, and and sadly, it's it's one of the you know, like I said, in the biggest city in the country, and you know, if you're the CFL, and, and I'll extend it to even the television character who's got a, a stake in the league and and, and a stake in the work. team. It's got a stake. They've got a stake in this team. Yeah, like I mean, how could you how could you not want this to work? I mean, and where it is right now, it's set up for failure. I mean, I mean, I, I, is this all of a sudden a team that's going to be put together in a couple months? I mean, quite honestly, training camp isn't realistically all that long ago from, from long from now, and there's so many questions, you know, from player personnel issues from from you know like I said other than the schedule what what is secure and you're right they did get a great schedule and I, and I'm I'm glad they did because I was uh, it was they it was almost unfair what was done to them in terms of their scheduling last year for several years for because, several years well especially last year because of the move to the BMO field because let's be honest people are from Toronto it's not like baseball it's not like going to see the Raptors or the Blue Jays people aren't moving you know, especially if you're going to promote the tailgate on a weekday. Are you kidding me? Who on a weekday, on a Wednesday, we'll say, is going to rush away from work to go to the tailgate party <laughs> for a seven o'clock start? Does no. that make any sense to you? You're, you're going to take your cooler of beer to the accounting firm with you during the day, <laughs> and then race off in your suit so you can get there and be. No, I mean, yeah, of course it, it doesn't. It I'm going to carry awful. my hibachi through the office. No, nothing, none of it made sense to me, and it, it was awful because most of their games were during the week. I mean, the Argos are the one team, and again, with all due respect to the Tiger Cats and every other team out there. Hey, you, it's almost like revenue sharing in a way. Everyone's got to bite the bullet a little bit for the Argonauts. But what and, happens now? What happens now, Bubba? If if my prediction is correct, and I, I I really, you know what? We live in Hamilton. Everyone wants to say Argos suck and all the rest, and that's fine. But if my prediction is correct, which I don't hope is correct, because I don't think a terrible, terrible Toronto team is good for the CFL. But if I'm correct, and even with the great schedule now. They stink and they can't draw anybody. Where do they turn next? What's the next move? Because I think the next move is they become such a non-factor and such a joke in the city that they become completely irrelevant, even more than they are now. Well, I'm glad you say even more than they are now because let's be honest, Scott. I mean, the the marketing, they even tried to market it a little bit and spend some money last year. I've talked to so many people that I know that live in the city and they don't care. And it hurts me to hear that, but it, and, and it hurts me to say that, but they are, they are so on the back page. They're like, do we have a football team? I mean, yeah, oh, wait, call me you know, when, the, when the NFL comes here. 
and we have our own NFL team because people right now in the city, for whatever reason, I can't, I, you know, I'm, or I'd be working for them. Um, they're, they're just not into CFL football. There's been a couple of generations people of, of people that have been removed from the team. The team haven't helped themselves in many occasions, not putting money into the team. They played in an obsolete stadium that was never, ever built for football for many, many years. They forgot about fans. They never marketed themselves. And I, quite honestly, I know people that have worked for that organization. There was a time... Like every other organization, like the Tiger Cats, where you could say their staff. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to throw you the exact numbers, but let's let's be honest. There's probably there's probably 25 uh, percent of the staff that they have that you know still exist. And there's so many turnover turnover so much turnover too from people that work behind the scenes. It's um. It is, it is painful right now. It, it really is painful. And I think it's also, you know who else it's bad for? It's bad for the league. It's bad for Toronto. It's bad for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. And here's why. You cannot have a good rivalry if only one side cares. What's the, what's the excitement of pounding on Toronto if nobody in Toronto feels the pain of losing? They don't, if they don't care that we beat them, what's the fun in beating them? And, and and I don't think that's healthy for the Ticats either. I think the Ticats are a far stronger franchise when people in Toronto care about the Argos and therefore there is some real rivalry that you, you that there's something on the line that when the Ticats lose, you feel upset because the Toronto people are giving it to you and vice versa. And if Absolutely. that's not the case, it's it's sure it's fun. Let's pound on the blue and white. But at this point, if the blue and white are that bad, what difference does it make? Anyway, we only got a couple of minutes left. I want to ask you this because what people may or may not know about Bubba O'Neill, there is nobody on planet Earth who is more of an expert, more of an aficionado, more of an in-depth, deep-dive bachelor expert, and I'm talking about the TV show, than Bubba O'Neill. This man knows everything. He, You ask him about any one of the bachelors or the bachelorettes, he could name their birth date, their height and weight, who they've dated, who they've married, where they work, what their income. Bubba knows everything. So you are the perfect guy to comment on the Eugenie Bouchard love story in the works that seems to be developing. She gets asked out on a date on Twitter during the Super Bowl by this guy in a bet, basically. She agrees to go through with it, even though she'd been joking because she was sure Atlanta was going to win. She goes out with him last night or the night before? Last, last night. Last night. And holy cow, she says, yeah, I'm going to go out with him again. Bubba, are we on the verge of the greatest Twitter love story in history? This, this is insane. Like, I was actually shocked. I mean, first of all, I mean, the guy shows up there. He's just so overly <laughs> casual. I could not believe his apparel. I mean, I'm sorry. If I'm going out with Jeannie Bouchard on a date, who's who just finished a swimsuit issue shooting <laughs> in Sports Illustrated, one of the hottest things going in terms of looks and and you know star power and and money being made right now. She doesn't even need to win tournaments because she's making so much money from endorsements. Um, you're not wearing torn you, jeans, and you wear a pair wear a pair of what what appears to be, I don't know, dock shoes and 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 jeans and. And, they, and now, mind you, the jacket he was wearing was Ralph Lauren, but that's a hangout. That, that's a jacket you wear when you're hanging out with your buddies or when you're going to physics class. It worked. Morning. It's worked. Well, you know what worked is the fact, I'll give him credit. I'll give him credit. What few people know is he went to Tiffany's and bought her a pair of earrings. 
and presented her with a gift. So he got her going there. So he, he's, he's, he's not as dumb as I might have thought he was. You watch what happens now in the next major sporting event when some female, good-looking, famous celebrity makes some kind of comment like Eugenie Bouchard did. There are going to be 27,000 single guys, and some not even single, saying, hey, I'll go out on a, will you go out on a date with me if they lose? It, this is going to be the thing now because this looks like – I mean, I, listen, I – Half of me thinks that this whole thing is just a brilliant bit of PR and marketing by Eugenie Bouchard. Sure it is. And half That's of me thinks, doing, and half of me thinks, well, maybe he is a nice guy. Maybe she really enjoyed her date and thought, hey, I'll give him one more crack at this. Well, I can't. I mean, like, I mean, I'm not trying to be. I'm trying to be serious here. I'm trying, but I mean, she, she must have had a good time. She must have. I mean, for the fact if they really do go out for a second time, and at least they've made a, a good friendship of some sort or whatever I mean good on him I guess I I, I love the fact that um they took a, a limo of some kind she got a driver and and good on her because you don't know who's gonna show up and ring the doorbell could be you know psycho killer Bob who who is this guy now it turns out it doesn't seem like he was but I gotta tell you this is this is turning out to be a very funny story and I'm I hope we got to go. We got to go to break here. I really hope that this thing, this would be the great story of all time if it turned out that they started going out. I, I'm not putting my, my, I'm not a bachelor expert like you are. I can't go that far down the road, but that would be hilarious. Well, like I said, I'm ready and prepared to start writing the script to the movie. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you're ready to start sending out tweets to famous celebrities now at sporting events. <laughs> Let me know when you do the first one. I want to follow it. Bubba O'Neill from CHCH. Thanks for the time tonight. Always a pleasure. Great combo. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Was it NBC or ABC, one of the networks once upon a time, not that long ago, had a show, maybe even still be on the air, I don't know. And I think it was called something like, What Would You Do? It was basically, they would present a scenario to you that was uncomfortable or awkward or socially inept or socially poor or whatever else. And they would put people in a situation where they were faced with something that happened that, boy, you had two choices. You could either involve yourself in some way or excuse yourself in some way. So here's the scenario. It's a story that was on the spec.com today. It's in other papers as well. But it goes like this. Roughly 30 years ago, a guy in a small town of Ontario received a an inheritance of almost $100,000, which he cashed for whatever reason, decided not to put the money in the bank, cashed the check, got the $100,000 cash. But then he's at home and he figures, well, what am I going to do with $100,000 in cash? I can't just leave it sitting on the dresser. I can't leave it somewhere where if someone breaks into my house, they're obviously going to find it. The place that he decided was the safest, least likely place that a burglar was going to look was inside the back box of his television set. I guess he unscrewed the back box of the set and the old, not the flat plasma ones, obviously, but the, the old, the old ones. He unscrewed it, put a hundred thousand dollars in cash into the set along with some banking information so that his name was there. So not, not intentional. That's not why he did it, but it happened to be that there was some banking information. So anyway, years later, he forgets about this. 
Somehow, he's got $100,000 in a TV set, stashed in a TV set. Somehow, he forgets that the money is in the TV. I don't know how that's possible. It doesn't say here, quite honestly, if he has some sort of memory issue or Alzheimer's or something like that. I don't know. There's no suggestion of that. He simply somehow forgets he's put the money in that TV, and he gives the TV away as a gift. Or gives it to someone who needs it. Anyway, he hands off the TV to a friend. The friend keeps it for a number of years. Now, this was 30 years ago that he put the money in. Friend keeps it for a number of years. TV, I guess, wears out and decides that the new guy who has the TV decides he's going to send it to a recycling place so they can get rid of it properly because the TV has done its time and has served its purpose and now needs to be recycled and dealt with properly. So the folks at the recycling place start to take it apart, and lo and behold, they open up the back of the box, and holy cow, there's $100,000 in cash plus some forms that have a name on it with some banking information. Now, here is where I want to hear from you. You are now the person who's working in the recycling place. Nobody knows that you have just stumbled upon $100,000 in the back of a TV set. Nobody knows that you have suddenly stumbled on $100,000. This isn't a $20 bill finding it in your jeans. This is $100,000. This is life-changing money. What do you do? What do you, honestly, you're on the radio. We can't see your face. We don't know your last name. You can actually talk in a disguised voice if you want to. But honest answer. Don't don't do that. That probably won't sound very good. No? No. We don't want everyone calling up and talking in an English accent? It'll probably sound pretty stupid. Just don't don't do that. (laughs) Point is, what would you do? Would you keep the money? Would you give the money back? What would you, honestly, you stumble on $100,000 that nobody knows that you have found? What do you do? 905-645-3221, star 9900. Give us a call or radley at 900chml.com. You can send an email if you would like. What do you do if you find $100,000 in the back of a TV set that nobody knows you have? It is entirely your secret. If you keep that money, nobody is the wiser except for you. Do you keep it? But there is, there are documents with the money that have a name and an address on it, banking information. So you have a choice. You can keep the money and nobody knows, or you could very easily make an attempt. You don't even know at this point if the person is still alive whose name is on that document. Or do you give that money back? Do you track the person down and give the money back? I'm not going to tell you yet what the person at the recycling plant did. But what do you do? 905-645-3221, star 9900. Luke, I'm going to go to you first as hmm. we wait. What do you do? You are enti- Now, you are entirely holding a secret. No one is ever going to know if you keep this money. What are you going to do? I, Scott, I only found $50,000 in the back of that TV. I don't know what you're talking about. It was not $100,000. It was only fifty. That is, I never, okay, that's the other answer that I suppose you could give. I hadn't even thought of that one. Oh yeah, no, I found some money. I'm the good guy. I'm returning the money. Well, wait a second. I thought it was a hundred grand. Well, no, 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 no. There was only 50,000. I don't know what happened to the other. Okay. That's, that's one of the answers too. Is that what you do? Or do you give the money back or do you 
keep it all for yourself and tuck it away somewhere. What is your answer to this conundrum? 905-645-3221 or star 9900. Are you the beacon of honesty and integrity or are you the richest guy on your block or girl on your block? Which one are you? Because let me tell you, let me tell you about something on this one. It is super easy to say, oh, of course I would give it back. And I believe that there are actually many people out there who would give it back. I do believe that. I believe there are people who unquestioning, unquestionably would return it in a second. But let's be honest for one second. If you had $100,000 cash in your hand, it would be very, very easy for integrity to take a back seat to reality. Carol Ann joins me tonight. Carol Ann, thanks for calling in. How are you? Fine. Well, Carol Ann, you have just stumbled on $100,000 that nobody knows you have. What do you do? I think that I would go to the bank that it's uh, drawn on and that it would be uh, um, to find out if the man was still alive, that it was on the paper. And if he was, would you ask the bank to... Find the man, phone him, and ask if he remembered it was there, and what should you do with it? Caroline, you are obviously one of the honest people that is out there, and that is admirable, and that's applaudable, and I appreciate that. Now, i got to ask you, though, before I let you go, would that be for you, do you think it would be an easy decision, or would it actually take some convincing of yourself to go, oh, yeah, but it's $100,000? No, it's it's not a no-brainer. That that doesn't belong to me. I didn't earn it. And that man might have needed it right at the time. He might be in a nursing home that might need it so he could have a, a, a room by himself rather than four in a room. Carol Ann, you're a lovely person. I appreciate you calling. Thanks very much. Thank you. Uh, okay, so Carol Ann votes that she would not votes, she says she would give the money back because it's not hers. She didn't earn it. It's not her money. Someone else might need it. That's her honest answer. Spencer joins me. Spencer, how are you tonight? Fine, thanks. Yourself? I'm perfect, thank you. I really appreciate you calling in. You now have stumbled on, you've opened the back of a television set, and you are holding in your hand, Spencer, $100,000 in cash that nobody knows you have. What do you do? Keep it. (laughs) <laughs> I knew somebody was going to say that. Why not? That's You know what? Here's my question about this, Spencer, because the on, the obvious answer that everyone is going to say, and I applaud Carol Ann for saying what she did, but here's my question. Is it is it really someone else's money? And, I, and I would, a lot of people would say yes, but if you go to a garage sale and someone has a painting that is for sale in the garage sale and you're an art expert and you can spot it and you go, you know what? That's an original group of seven. And you buy that for $5, which is the asking price. Have you stolen that painting from them, or have you just taken advantage of what was there for you? Not at all. That's the way the cookie crumbles. I mean, why not? Why not not take that money, invest it, double it, and then give back their $100,000? Spencer, I I really appreciate your honesty. Thanks for calling in. Yep. Okay, so Spencer says, hey, 
You find the money, it's your money. That's the way the cookie crumbles. Carol Ann says, no, no, that's not my money. And I go to the point, and and maybe it's a different point, but let me use the example of the garage sale again, because we've heard of people over time who have gone to an estate sale or a garage sale and found some painting that is a multi-million dollar art treasure that they buy for five bucks or 10 bucks. And they know that, they, they've recognized it and they've bought it. Is that different from keeping the money that you happen to get in this TV that was given to you? Is it too bad, so sad to the person who has lost the money? It's now yours. Finders, keepers, losers, weepers. Or is it something else? 905-645-3221, star 9900. What is the thing? What would you do? What would you do if you came across that money. Nicole joins us now. Nicole, how are you tonight? Nicole, are you there? Oh, hey. Hey, Nicole, thanks for calling in. So, Nicole, you've got $100,000 in cold cash in your hand that nobody knows you have. It is your secret alone. What do you do? The guy's name's right there. If it wasn't there, I'd definitely keep it. But if it's easy to find, I'd give it back. It's bad karma. So if if there was no banknote there and no bank records, that's a different story. Then it's just found money. (laughs) Yeah, then I'd probably keep it. Nicole, thank you very much for your call. I appreciate it. Thanks. All right, let's jump to Buddy. Buddy, how are you tonight? Good, how are you? Excellent, thank you. All right, same question for you, Buddy. What do you do with the money that you found? If I had that 100000 in my hand, it would absolutely drive me crazy knowing I had this guy's information, whether to hand the money in or keep it. It would just drive me insane for that few days that I had it or the long term that I had it because the guilt would eat me up over time. You, you're, a, you're, a guy with, you're a guy with a heavy conscience, so this would have bothered you a great deal. Oh, yeah, whether, whether I gave it back or not, you know. Buddy, let me time, ask you. It would, over time, it would just eat me up. Let me ask you the question. By the way, if you could turn your radio down, that would be great, buddy. But if, uh, let me let me ask you the same question I was asking about the garage sale then, because it's a similar situation, I think. You go to a garage sale, buddy, you are an art expert, and you spot, or a statue, a sculpture expert or something, you spot something at a garage sale that is worth millions of dollars that the unwitting, unknowing sale person has got up for sale for five bucks. Do you feel a need to tell them, or would you buy that and say, no, no, that's fair fair game? I would know. I'd probably buy it and tell them afterwards what I have in my hand, and would they rather sell it and split the the money 50-50 or just keep the painting? Buddy, you are an admirable citizen. Thank you for calling in today. I appreciate it. All right. That is, uh, look, so we got, we're all over the map with this one. I like Buddy's actually idea, the last one, because Buddy actually, that may have been the way to really resolve it, is say, listen, I'll give you this money back, but half of it is mine. We're going to split it 50-50. Now, that's, you know, it's still not your that, money. That's what I was saying, essentially. Uh, <laughs> so th- there's a lot of different options here. We have the people, now, Buddy says also that he's got a very strong conscience so that he would he would feel driven to dis, you know to despair if he kept this money and i understand that there's a lot of people who would be like that you know what in my big fear i would be this is how i operate i would be thinking the whole time i'm on some sort of hidden camera show right now <laughs> they are t- and if i spend a dime of this 
someone's going to pop out of the bushes and go, why did you spend the money? And I, and then I'm going to be humiliated. So the $50,000 thing, that was a, a good joke, but my real pragmatic answer is I would go to a lawyer and find out what the law is regarding this money because and it really it came to me when during Spencer's call the one who said that he would just keep it because it's not that simple a hundred thousand dollars is a lot of money that you have to report to the government that you got and if well do you do you and the the reason I would ask that question is if I found a bag of a hundred thousand dollars just in a bag on the side of the road I don't think I have to pay tax on that uh, I don't know I I have no idea you probably still would I I don't think you can just find money and uh, of that number and it and it uh just be allowed to keep it i think that there are probably some laws and that's why i would go to a lawyer about it because for one i'd like to know if i am allowed to keep it by right with the documents being there and then once i keep the money what am i allowed to do with it we got to go but let me ask you one more thing let's say luke that you were mr honest and you went and found that guy and gave it back to him now let's put yourself in the position of the guy who had left the money in the back of the tv What is the minimum that you should be doing as a thank you to the person for returning this money? What is the minimum that you should do? Because some people would say, you don't have to do anything. And others would say 50% should go back to the person. What's the minimum you should do? I would say it's probably 10 grand. However... It, like I'm of two minds because on one hand, this is a guy who can just forget about a hundred thousand dollars. So you figure he's probably got a lot of money. Uh, no, I don't. I don't know that you can make that conclusion. Or but... at least that money, that much money means a, would mean a lot to a lot of people. So the fact that it could just go missing and he forget about it means that he didn't need the money. You would think. Because at some point that would have crossed his mind. So initially I was like, well, I mean, you would expect that he could give 20, 30, 40, 50 grand of that. But on the other hand, rich people uh, didn't get rich by giving all their money away. So my expectation would be, if he is a rich person, that he would give nothing. The story is, just so you know how this thing ends, the story is that he's not a rich person. It doesn't explain why it is that he forgot that this money was in here. That to me is truly baffling. If I had a hundred grand sitting in my living room or somewhere in my house, I would know where that was at all times. Mob money, that's what it is. No, it wasn't that either. (laughs) No, it was was an inheritance. Anyway, uh, so they asked, what happened with, the end of the story is, the guy at the recycling place goes to the police. Close to what you said with the lawyer. Goes to the police uh, and asks, what he is supposed to do. Police looked at the money. I mean, when I say looked at it, didn't just like look at it, but explored <laughs> big the eyes genesis of the money. <laughs> found out that it was not counterfeit and was not linked to any known crime. Which which would be their first, honestly, it'd be my first assumption if I found $100,000 in a television. And then tracked down the guy and they gave the money back to the rightful owner, who was delighted to have it and apparently is now putting it somewhere safer than the back of a television set. What the story doesn't say, and it leaves this, it's like playing a scale of a piano and not hitting the last note. It leaves it, he doesn't say if any reward was offered to the honest guy who returned it. I hope, I hope that it, there was some because I think that would be the appropriate thing to do. If you are relying on the generosity and the good-hearted honesty of a stranger to return that kind of money, I would believe that you should 
be rewarding that person with something, with something. Doesn't say if it was. Let's hope it was. Anyway, thank you, folks, for your calls. Interesting discussion to be having on this one because this is the abs- This is one of those absolute what-do-you-do cases because, boy, oh, boy, it would be so hard. And I believe the people who called in tonight. I believe all of you who said I would give the money back. I believe you're telling the truth. But, boy, it, I think it would be so hard if that cash was really in your hand to give that money back. That would be a tough one. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900. AM 900 CHML.